Hey everybody, this is Craig from Needless to Say. Drop your dong and grab your bong. You're listening to Baked and Awake on the Damaged Goods Network. again to the Baked and Awake podcast. Today, I believe, is episode 57 of the show. Uh, join me here as we indulge in a quick dab to get things started. Um, and we'll talk about what that was in a second, but now is a very good time to give you our usual disclaimer that Baked in a Week is a podcast about cannabis. We record in a legal region. Uh, you will encounter the use of cannabis as a member of the audience. Fortunately, and I've looked into this, there is no secondhand smoke. All content is presented by myself, a responsible adult. And listeners should be the same. Take responsibility for your own actions. Be safe. And more importantly, smart when listening to this podcast. The dab I just took there will serve as our strain of the week this week. It is the famous ACDC High CBD Strain by Goldline Concentrates. I scooped it over at Have a Heart in Skyway, Washington, just up the road from our place here, um, because it was beautiful, uh, inexpensive, like everything from Goldline, beautifully packaged, by the way. And we should all be dabbling and dabbing on some High CBD Strains. Uh, if you're not familiar with ACDC, look it up. I'll have a full description and a link here in the show notes for you. Uh, but a great uh, medicinal strain. By the way, next episode we will pick up where we left off 
on the saga of Jesus with an exploration of Joseph Atwill's Caesar's Messiah and a theory of his that Jesus of Nazareth was a creation of the Roman state. Now, as scary as that notion is to some folks, and we're not here to judge, this week, in celebration of the spookiest time of year, I thought we would change things up and have a bit of good old-fashioned story time. For that true vintage horror vibe, we're going to be reaching deep into the stacks of dusty old stories to an era when a person could pen a 3,800-word poem, I counted, and amidst its circumlocutions, announce a tale of woe to last the ages. A story destined to become a legend, woven into the very fabric of reality, in the form of memorable lines that live on as permanent memes of the English language. For who among us, old enough to grow wanted or unwanted whiskers on our bodies, doesn't know and has not wittily quipped once upon a thirsty but rainy hike, boat ride, etc.? Water, water, everywhere, and not a drop to drink. Probably to the hearty groans and eye rolls of any companions. Or perhaps just as well known, yet equally obscure to most in its origins. The universal oath of a lamented but inescapable burden or blame to be born. It's an albatross around their neck. These classic zingers and more are to be discovered today as we present to you, faithful listener, Samuel Taylor Coleridge's The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. A few points of interest about the author before diving in that we may better appreciate them. Samuel Taylor Coleridge was born on October 21st, 1772. Almost 246 years ago to the day of this recording. Happy birthday, Mr. Coleridge. May you rest in peace. Coleridge was British by birth and had a fascination with and a strong desire to create and live in a reformed communal lifestyle in the New World, whereby people would live under equal governance by all, or, as they coined the term, a pantisocracy which took its inspiration from Coleridge's affinity for Plato's Republic. 
Coleridge never did realize this dream, as his co-creators of the vision for the Pantisocracy eventually matured and took their rightful places amongst the elite of British society. Coleridge was well known to have had financial troubles all his life, living the lifestyle of an affluent creative mostly at the expense of his family and friends. In other words, he was your typical starving artist in his time, though somewhat respected nonetheless due to his obvious brilliance and prolific bibliography. Coleridge was close friends with and strongly influenced by the well-known author William Wordsworth under whose sphere of influence Coleridge's writing style evolved from exuberant and light-hearted to the compelling voice that would eventually cement his place amongst the leaders of the European Romantic movement of his era. Amongst his many works of poetry and fiction, Coleridge also penned a ten-issue progressive political journal in 1796 called The Watchman. This, of course, reminds me of a recent episode of the podcast where we discussed conspiracy and occult disclosure in comic books and movies. You'll find it a little bit below this one in your RSS feed around episode 50. You can also find it on my YouTube channel, Baked and Awake, with an accompanying video presentation. Uh, in that content and the conversation there, I mentioned the famous comic book from the 80s of nearly the same name. I wonder if they weren't inspired, perhaps, um, by Coleridge in some obscure way. Back to it. A bit sadly for me, we come to know that Coleridge struggled with opium addiction for his entire adult life, and though he sought treatment for it a number of times, he never was able to kick the habit. One wonders if he had only had access to as much cannabis hashish as opium. Perhaps he might have been able to free himself of the need for that powerful and somewhat consumptive of its user narcotic. doesn't take much imagination on the part of worldly readers of the rhyme to see the influence of Coleridge's struggles with the drug within the lines of the poem. Rich with language and symbolism of the classic tropes of sin and the consequences of our actions. Judgment from on high, from an omnipotent God. But also, karma. And finally, the simple forgiveness of our fellow man for what evils we have done. Finally, one more interesting work by Coleridge. For those of you for whom this episode may spark some interest in learning more about the person who gave us such a legendary story as The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. There is an unfinished but illuminating 
as illuminating about the author itself as in its inherent wisdom. Essay, entitled, Hints Toward the Formation of a More Comprehensive Theory of Life, written later in the artist's life and not published until 1848, a full 14 years after his death on July 25, 1834. In addition to my reading of the story in full, I'm including both a link to and a downloadable MP3 of a radio adaptation of the rhyme performed on an older radio show called The Hermit's Cave and presented by a troupe called The Weird Circle that was a lot of fun to listen to. I invite you all to listen to that version of the story as well and decide for yourselves if the original work is superior or is the interpretation of a modern playwright perhaps more digestible to our ears today. For as you will soon hear, the language and poetry of Coleridge's time was quite distinct from the present. We join the tale of the ancient mariner with a young man, innocent of the accosting he is about to be subjected to, standing outside of a wedding celebration, of which he is a close relative of the groom. Our guest, taking in the evening air, and dare we speculate, perhaps packing his pipe bowl, he prepares to enjoy a moment of quiet before joining the festivities in earnest. Alas, the celebrant's reverie is soon interrupted by an approaching stranger, the wizened figure of an old, old Man of the Seas. Part One. It is an ancient mariner, and he stoppeth one of three. By thy long gray beard and glittering eye, now wherefore stoppest thou me? The bridegroom's doors are opened wide, and I am next of kin. The guests are met, the feast is set, mayst hear the merry din. He holds him with his skinny hand, there was a ship, quoth he. Hold off, unhand me, greybeard loon. Eftsoons his hand dropped he. 
he holds him with his glittering eye. The wedding guest stood still and listens like a three years child. The mariner hath his will. The wedding guest sat on a stone, cannot choose but hear, and thus spake on that ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. The ship was cheered, the harbor cleared, merrily did we drop, below the kirk, below the hill, below the lighthouse top. The sun came up upon the left, out of the sea came he, and he shone bright, and on the right went down into the sea. Higher and higher every day, till over the mast at noon, The wedding guest here beat his breast, for he heard the loud bassoon. The bride hath paced into the hall, red as a rose is she. Nodding their heads before her goes the merry minstrelsy. The wedding guest, he beat his breast, yet he cannot choose but hear. And thus spake on that ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. And now the storm blast came, and he was tyrannous and strong. He struck with his o'ertaking wings, and chased us south along. With sloping masts, and ripping prow, as who pursued with yell and blow, still treads the shadow of his foe, and forward bends his head. The ship drove fast, loud roared the blast, and southward I we fled. And now there came both mist and snow, and it grew wondrous cold and ice, mast high, came floating by, as green as emerald. And through the drifts, the snowy clifts, did send a dismal sheen. Nor shapes of men, nor beasts we ken, the ice was all between. The ice was here, the ice was there, the ice was all around. It cracked and growled and roared and howled like noises in a swound. At length did cross an albatross. Through the fog it came as if it had been a Christian soul we hailed it in God's name. 
It ate the food it ne'er had eat, and round and round it flew. The ice did split with a thunder fit. The helmsman steered us through. And a good south wind sprung up behind. The albatross did follow. And every day, for food or play, came to the mariners. Hallo! In mist or cloud, on mast or shroud, it perched for vespers nine, whiles all the night, through fog smoke white, glimmered the white moonshine. God save thee, ancient mariner, from the fiends that plague thee thus. Why lookest thou so? With my crossbow I shot the albatross. Part 2 The sun now rose upon the right. Out of the sea came he, still hid in mist, and on the left went down into the sea. And the good south wind still blew behind, but no sweet bird did follow, nor any day, for food or play, come to the mariners. Hollow. And I had done a hellish thing, and it would work em woe. For all averred, I had killed the bird that made the breeze to blow. Ah, wretch, said they, the bird to slay that made the breeze to blow. Nor dim nor red like God's own head, the glorious sun uprist. Then all a bird, I had killed the bird that brought the fog and mist. Twas right, said they, such birds to slay that bring the fog and mist. The fair breeze blew, the white foam flew, the furrow followed free. We were the first that ever burst into that silent sea. Down dropped the breeze, the sails dropped down. Twas sad as sad could be. And we did speak only to break the silence of the sea. All in a hot and copper sky the bloody sun at noon, 
right up above the mast did stand, no bigger than the moon. Day after day, day after day, we stuck, nor breath, nor motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. Water, water, everywhere. And all the boards did shrink. Water, water, everywhere. Nor any drop to drink. The very deep did rot, O oh Christ, that ever this should be. Yea, slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea. About, about, in reel and rout, the death fires danced at night. The water, like a witch's oils, burnt green and blue and white. And some in dreams assured were of the spirit that plagued us so. Nine fathom deep he had followed us from the land of mist and snow. And every tongue through utter drought was withered at the root. We could not speak, no more than if we had been choked with soot. Ah, well a day, what evil looks had I from old and young. Instead of the cross, the albatross about my neck was hung. Part three. There passed a weary time. Each throat was parched and glazed each eye. A weary time, a weary time. How glazed each weary eye. When looking westward, I beheld a something in the sky. At first, it seemed a little speck, and then it seemed a mist. It moved and moved, 
and took at last a certain shape, I wist. A speck, a mist, a shape, I wist. And still it neared and neared. As if it dodged a water sprite, it plunged and tacked and veered. With throats unslaked, with black lips baked, we could nor laugh nor wail. Through utter drought, all dumb we stood. I bit my arm, I sucked the blood, and cried, A sail! A sail! With throats unslaked, with black lips baked, agape they heard me call. Gramercy! They for joy did grin, and all at once their breath drew in, as they were drinking all. See, see, I cried, she tacks no more. Hither to work us wheel, without a breeze, without a tide. She steadies with upright keel. The western wave was all aflame. The day was well nigh done. Almost upon the western wave rested the broad, bright sun. When that strange shape strove suddenly betwixt us, and the sun. And straight the sun was flecked with bars. Heaven's mother send us grace. As if through a dungeon gate he peered with broad and burning face. Alas, thought I, and my heart beat loud, how fast she nears and nears. Are those her sails that glance in the sun like restless gossamers? Are those her ribs through which the sun did peer as through a grate? And is that woman all her crew? Is that a death? And are there two? Is death that woman's mate? Her lips were red. Her looks were free. Her locks were yellow as gold. Her skin was as white as leprosy. The nightmare, life in death, was she. 
who thicks man's blood with cold. The naked hulk alongside came, and the twain were casting dice. The game is done. I've won. I've won, quoth she, and whistles thrice. The sun's rim dips. The stars rush out. At one stride comes the dark. With far heard whisper o'er the sea, off shot the spectre bark. We listened and looked sideways up. Fear at my heart as at a cup. My life blood seemed to sip. The stars were dim and thick the night. The steersman's face by his lamp gleamed white. From the sails the dew did drip, till, clomb above the eastern bar, the horned moon with one bright star within the nether tip. One after one, by the star-dogged moon, too quick for groan or sigh, each turned his face with a ghastly pang and cursed me with his eye. Four times fifty living men, and I heard nor sigh nor groan. With heavy thump, a lifeless lump, they dropped down one by one. The souls did from their bodies fly, they fled to bliss or woe, and every soul it passed me by, like the whiz of my crossbow. Part 4 I fear thee, ancient mariner. I fear thy skinny hand, and thou art long and lank and brown, as is the ribbed sea sand. I fear thee and thy glittering eye, and thy skinny hand so brown. Fear not, fear not, thou wedding guest. This body dropped not down. Alone, alone, all, all alone, alone on a wide, wide sea, 
that never a saint took pity on my soul in agony. The many men, so beautiful, and they all dead did lie. And a thousand thousand slimy things lived on, and so did I. I looked upon the rotting sea, and drew my eyes away. I looked upon the rotting deck, and there the dead men lay. I looked to heaven, and tried to pray, but or ever a prayer had gushed, a wicked whisper came, and made my heart dry as dust. I closed my lids, and kept them close. And the balls did like pulses beat. For the sky and the sea, and the sea and the sky, lay like a load on my weary eye. And the dead were at my feet. The cold sweat melted from their limbs. Nor rot, nor reek did they. The look with which they looked on me had never passed away. An orphan's curse would drag to hell a spirit from on high. But, oh, more horrible than that is the curse in a dead man's eye. Seven days, seven nights saw that curse. And yet, I could not die. The moving moon went up the sky and nowhere did abide. Softly, she was going up, and a star or two beside. Her beams bemocked the sultry main, like April hoarfrost spread. But where the ship's huge shadow lay, the charmed water burnt away, a still and awful red. Beyond the shadow of the ship, I watched the water snakes. They moved in tracks of shining white. When they reared, the elfish light fell off in hoary flakes. Within the shadow of the ship, I watched their rich attire, blue 
glossy green and velvet black. Then coiled and swam, and every track was a flash of golden fire. Oh, happy living things! No tongue their beauty might declare. Spring of love gushed from my heart, and I blessed them, unaware. Sure, my kind saint took pity on me, and I blessed them, unaware. The selfsame moment I could pray, and from my neck, so free, the albatross fell off and sank like lead into the sea. Part 5 Oh, sleep! It is a gentle thing, beloved from pole to pole. To Mary Queen, the praise be given. She sent the gentle sleep from heaven that slid into my soul. The silly buckets on the deck that had so long remained, I dreamt that they were filled with dew. And when I awoke, it rained. My lips were wet. My throat was cold. My garments all were dank. Sure, I had drunken in my dreams, and still my body drank. I moved and could not feel my limbs. I was so light, almost. I thought that I had died in sleep and was a blessed ghost. And soon I heard a roaring wind. It did not come anear, but with its sound it shook the sails that were so thin and sere. The upper air burst into life and a hundred fire flags sheen. To and fro they were hurried about, and to and fro and in and out the wan stars danced between. And the coming wind did roar more loud, and the sails did sigh like a sedge. The rain poured down from one black cloud. The moon was at its edge. The thick black cloud was cleft, and still the moon was at its side. Like water shot from some high crag, the lightning fell with never a jag. A river, steep and wide, The loud wind never reached the ship, yet now the ship moved on. Beneath the lightning and the moon, 
the dead men gave a groan. They groaned. They stirred. They all uprose. Nor spake, nor moved their eyes. It had been strange, even in a dream, to have seen those dead men rise. The helmsman steered. The ship moved on. Yet ne'er a breeze up blew. The mariners all gone work the ropes where they were wont to do. They raised their limbs like lifeless tools. We were a ghastly crew. The body of my brother's son stood by me knee to knee. The body and I pulled at one rope, but he said naught to me. I fear thee, ancient mariner. Be calm, thou wedding guest. Twas not those souls that fled in pain, which to their courses came again, but a troop of spirits blessed. For when it dawned, they dropped their arms and clustered round the mast. Sweet sounds rose slowly through their mouths and from their bodies passed. Around, around, flew each sweet sound, then darted to the sun. Slowly the sounds came back again, now mixed, now one by one. Sometimes, a dropping from the sky, I heard the skylark sing. Sometimes, all little birds that are, how they seemed to fill the sea and air with their sweet jargoning. And now, twas like all instruments, now like a lonely flute, and now it is an angel's song that makes the heavens be mute. It ceased, yet still the sails made on a pleasant noise till noon, a noise like of a hidden brook in the leafy month of June, that to the sleeping woods all night singeth a quiet tune. Till noon we quietly sailed on, yet never a breeze did breathe. Slowly and smoothly went the ship, 
moved onward from beneath. Under the keel, nine fathom deep, from the land of mist and snow, the spirit slid, and it was he that made the ship to go. The sails at noon left off their tune, and the ship stood still also. The sun, right up above the mast, had fixed her to the ocean. But in a minute, she gone stir, but with a short, uneasy motion. Backwards and forwards, half her length, with a short, uneasy motion. Then, like a pawing horse let go, she made a sudden bound. It flung the blood into my head, and I fell down in a swound. How long in that same fit I lay, I have not to declare. But ere my living life returned, I heard and in my soul discerned two voices in the air. Is it he? Quoth one. Is it the man? By him who died on the cross, with his cruel blow, he laid full low the harmless albatross. The spirit who bideth by himself in the land of mist and snow. He loved the bird that loved the man who shot him with his bow. The other was a softer voice, as soft as honeydew. Quoth he, The man hath penance done, and penance more will do. Part 6 But tell me, tell me, speak again, the soft response renewing. What makes that ship drive on so fast? What is the ocean doing? Still as a slave before his lord, the ocean hath no blast. His great bright eye, mostly silently, up to the moon is cast. If he may know which way to go, for she guides him smooth or grim. See, brother, see, how graciously she looketh down on him. But why drives on that ship so fast, without wave or wind? The air is cut away before, and closes from behind. Fly, brother, fly, more high, more high, or we shall be belated. 
for slow and slow that ship will go when the mariner's trance is abated. I woke, and we were sailing on, as in a gentle weather. Twas night, calm night. The moon was high. The dead men stood together. All stood together on the deck for a charnel dungeon fitter. All fixed on me their stony eyes that in the moon did glitter. The pang, the curse with which they died had never passed away. I could not draw my eyes from theirs nor turn them up to pray. And now this spell was snapped. Once more I viewed the ocean green and looked far forth, yet little saw of what else had been seen. Like one that on a lonesome road doth walk in fear and dread, and having once turned round walks on, and turns no more in his head, because he knows a frightful fiend doth close behind him tread. But soon there breathed a wind on me, nor sound nor motion made, its path was not upon the sea, in ripple or in shade. It raised my hair. It fanned my cheek. Like a meadow gale of spring, it mingled strangely with my fears, yet it felt like a welcoming. Swiftly, Swiftly flew the ship, yet she sailed softly, too. Sweetly, sweetly blew the breeze. On me alone it blew. Oh, dream of joy! Is this indeed the lighthouse top I see? Is this the hill? Is this the kirk? Is this mine own country? We drifted o'er the harbor bar, and I with sobs did pray. Oh, let me be awake, my God, or let me sleep alway. The harbor bay was clear as glass. So smoothly was it strewn. And on the bay, the moonlight lay, and the shadow of the moon. The rock shone bright, but Kirk no less. That stands above the rock, 
the moonlight steeped in silentness, a steady weathercock. And the bay was white with silent light, till rising from the same, full many shapes that shadows were, in crimson colors came. A little distance from the prow, those crimson shadows were. I turned my eyes upon the deck. Oh Christ, what I saw there. Each corpse lay flat, lifeless and flat. And by the holy rood, a man all light, a seraph man, on every corpse there stood. This seraph band, each waved his hand. It was a heavenly sight. They stood as signals to the land, each one a lovely light. This seraph band, each waved his hand. No voice did they impart. No voice, but oh, the silence sank like music on my heart. But soon I heard the dash of oars. I heard the pilots cheer. My head was turned perforce away. And I saw a boat appear. The pilot and the pilot's boy, I heard them coming fast. Dear Lord in heaven, it was a joy. The dead men could not blast. I saw a third. I heard his voice. It is the hermit good. He singeth loud his godly hymns that he makes in the wood. He'll shrieve my soul. He'll wash away the albatross's blood. Part 7 This hermit, good, lives in that wood which slopes down to the sea. How loudly his sweet voice he rears. He loves to talk with mariners that come from a far country. He kneels at morn and noon and eve. He hath a cushion plump. It is the moss that wholly hides the rotted old oak stump. The skiff boat neared. I heard them talk. Why, this is strange, I trow. Where are those lights, so many and fair, that signal made but now? Strange, by my faith, the hermit said, and they answered not our cheer. 
the planks looked warped. And see, those sails, how thin they are and sear. I never saw aught like to them, unless perchance it were brown skeletons of leaves that lag my forest brook along when the ivy tod is heavy with snow and the owlet whoops to the wolf below that eats the she-wolf's young. Dear Lord, it hath a fiendish look, the pilot made reply. I am afeard. Push on, push on, said the hermit cheerily. The boat came closer to the ship, but I nor spake nor stirred. The boat came close beneath the ship, and straight a sound was heard. Under the water it rumbled on, still louder and more dead. It reached the ship. It split the bay. The ship went down like lead. Stunned by that loud and dreadful sound which sky and ocean smote, like one that hath been seven days drowned, my body lay afloat. But swift as dreams, myself I found within the pilot's boat. Upon the whirl, where sank the ship, the boat spun round and round, and all was still, save that the hill was telling of the sound. I moved my lips. The pilot shrieked and fell down in a fit. The holy hermit raised his eyes and prayed where he did sit. I took the oars. The pilot's boy, who now doth crazy go, laughed loud and long, and all the while his eyes went to and fro. Ha ha, quoth he, full plain I see the devil knows how to row. And now all in my own country, I stood on the firm land. The hermit stepped forth from the boat and scarcely he could stand. Oh, shrieve me, shrieve me, holy man. The hermit crossed his brow. Say quick, quoth he, I bid thee say, what manner of man art thou? Forthwith this frame of mine was wrenched with a woeful agony forced me to begin my tale, and then it left me free. Since then, at an uncertain hour, that agony returns, until my ghastly tale is told, this heart within me burns. I pass like night from land to land. I have strange power of speech. That moment that his face I see, I know the man that must hear me. 
To him my tale I teach. What loud uproar bursts from that door? The wedding guests are there. But in the garden bower, the bride and bridesmaids singing are. And hark the little vesper bell, which biddeth me to prayer. O wedding guest, this soul hath been alone on a wide, wide sea. So lonely t'was that God himself scarce seemed there to be. O oh, sweeter than the marriage feast, tis sweeter far to me to walk together to the kirk with a goodly company. To walk together to the kirk and all together pray while each to his great father bends, old men and babes and loving friends and youths and maidens gay. Farewell, farewell, but this I tell to thee, thou wedding guest, he prayeth well, who loveth well, both man and bird and beast. He prayeth best, who loveth best, all things both great and small. For the dear God who loveth us, he made and loveth all. The mariner, whose eye is bright, whose beard with age is hoar, is gone. And now the wedding guest turned from the bridegroom's door. He went like one that hath been stunned and is of sense forlorn. A sadder and a wiser man, he rose the morrow morn. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, 1772 through 1834. All right, I hope you've enjoyed this reading of The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, a wonderful work of horror and poetry that I hope is new to more than a few of you, as I believe it certainly deserves its place in the annals of the greatest stories ever told. One can't help but notice when reading these words from two centuries ago, that at the time, the written and especially the printed word represented what 4K HD TVs do to us today. That is, the absolute zenith of entertainment and educational technology. Coleridge clearly crafts the words on the page in numerous places, not simply to rhyme, but to make the reader smile 
almost chuckle in the midst of the dismal events of the doomed Mariner's adventure because of the, at times, hilarious visual gag on paper between two words. It's completely lost in the spoken performance, and for that I sincerely apologize. One last observation that came to me unbidden, but which inspired a quick web search investigation that quickly revealed that indeed this question has been asked and answered. But nonetheless, I pose this to you, dear listener. My observation is in the form of a question, and that is, was the ancient mariner who accosted the wedding guest a zombie? Or undead, perhaps, is a better term. That answer to that question can be found in today's show notes in the form of an insightful essay discovered at wordsworth.org by Rebecca Owens. All right, returning friends and first-time listeners, you have my thanks, as always, for joining me for another show. You can find links to all the sources cited in the show notes, along with links to references for additional reading and the radio adaptation of The Rime of the Ancient Mariner by The Weird Circle. As always, music for the podcast is generously provided by Antti Luode and various artists from the freemusicarchive.org. All artists and contributors received detailed attribution in the show notes. Producing the Baked and Wake podcast is like doing a book report every week or so and presenting them to the class. If you love book reports as much as I do, but don't have time to work on them yourself, one awesome way to have the report you need worked on by yours truly is to support the show as a member of our Patreon community. Find me there and join the small but growing group of wonderful humans who, for as little as $1 per month, are helping shape the future of the Baked and Awake podcast. The address for the Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash bakedandawakeshow, which, as I verify this link and read it aloud into the mic, I realize I've been telling people wrong pretty much the whole time. Y'all be good now. Have a super spooky, but not too scary Halloween. And remember, to smoke some indica, and trick or treat anyway.